Michael, how are you today? As well as I have ever been, Luke. As well as Jeez. I've ever been. That's exciting. Um, why so well? Well, it's been a very exciting time for us. We finally were able to announce our Uptown Grant recipients, 21 districts across Greater Sydney, over $4 million. And these are these, I guess, uh, quite a bit of discussion around uh, as I would just say it, that we are enlivening districts through this investment. It provides the groups of aligned businesses who want to go out and tell a story for their area to get a bit of seed funding from government to um, help with coordination, collaboration, and then marketing fundamentally. Like that's the model that YCK has worked on. And now you've got uh, places like Hollywood Quarter and, uh, you know, Chippen, some existing areas and new areas as well. So, you know, that was one of the things that the media's inevitably kind of gone and, you know, created its own story, but really it's around just elevating different pockets of Sydney so that people are aware of what's on their backyard, like Eastwood. I've been in Eastwood over the weekend and it's um, mm. just it's a remarkable, remarkable place to go and spend a time, a bit of time, you know, experience. It's great for cultural exchange and, uh, yeah, so that's what's keeping me busy. What about you? Oh, mate, um, my day job has been keeping me busy. I did get to go on holidays last week, which was good. Went down to uh, Hobart for a week. Um where it was very, very cold. But yeah, mate, things, I guess, from what we're seeing, the industry is remaining pretty positive. I think there's, um, you know, there's certainly pockets where that's not the case. I think people are adjusting a fair bit to expectations around what, what revenue is going to be like this year, comparison to last year and the year before, primarily last year, you know, everyone came so hot out of the gates last year that if you base your forecasts or your, yeah, um, you know, your, your revenue forecast on last year, probably a, a fair way off that for a lot of operators. So I guess it's rationalizing that, that expectation to reality. And then, um, yeah, I, I actually feel like the talent space, if you look at that specifically, is shaping up quite well. I think businesses because it's maybe not as busy as they were expecting and getting the opportunity to go back and and fix some things that happened over the last couple of years in terms of maybe salaries being pushed up too far for people who you know couldn't you know earn them (laughs) for lack of a better way of putting it um maybe overpaying people and, and and fixing that issue now um and also being able to hold staff team members a bit more to account rather than having that level of desperation where you have to you know, you, you just need hands. So whoever's there is is the one you you'll keep. Um, so I actually think that's a really good thing for the industry as a whole because it's just creating a bit more demand um, on the um, employee side as opposed to um, it all being one sided, which it was over the last couple of years. So mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that there's an element to uh, the seasonality overlaying and. Uh, mm-hmm. If uh, in, in some ways, it's how do you just take advantage of the. The, not the, like a pause and you know reframe to kind of prepare for the next 12 and in Sydney anyway you know my view is pretty clear it's so um, it's, hard, it's hard to hold hit Sydney back when, when it gets going particularly in those summer months and so I was out in Newtown over the weekend actually and trialled a new venue of which I've got to just give a shout out to it's the Buddy's Self-Serve Boozery have you come across any of these yet? Uh, I haven't been to one I've seen a lot about them online they look very interesting it was heaving um, and uh, in a good way, yeah. Um, How does it actually work? Sorry, can you just quickly? Yeah, it's uh, so, and it may be cause to get get them on and have them explain it. Essentially, you walk in, um, give the uh, proprietor 
your credit card, they give you back a card that's got however much you've bought on it. You then uh, have a wall of choices across craft beer, pre-batched cocktails as well, um, which I can come to and explain in just because, of course, me, I had to go after some cocktails as well. The beer, the, the, the thing is with it is that you pour yourself and you only charge for what you pour. So you're not committed to a full drink, if that makes sense. So if you want to taste um, 20 mils, 28 mils, 38 mils, 50 mils, 100 mils, and that's all you pay for. Uh, and then, or you can, you know, fill all the way up to uh, standard uh, serve size, uh, mini schooner. I didn't, don't know if there was pints. I think it was mini schooners. And on the bottle cocktail side, uh, sorry, on the on the cocktail side, there's margaritas where the glasses are already salt rimmed. You add ice and then you just um, pull away. And so, it's um, it's got an element of interest. There's bartenders, by the way, who are serving or walking around on the service side as well. So. If you either need help or you want to engage, you can, uh, and and that's how how, how it goes. Uh, and there are there are some um, peculiarities with it, and I haven't really worked out how to. If you you know wanted to game the system, could you? I suppose was probably where I was trying to understand. But um, <laughs> well, because you know, with obviously there's an RSA element to it, right? Like how how's the RSA been governed? So, but they're pretty active um, staff there, and they are chatting with the owners. They haven't had any issues, and and the police are sort of relatively, you know, they're familiar with it. Um, so, it, but it was it was a really good good vibe in there, and it does actually tie into that discussion about the experience being in the hand of the user that I talk about with future audiences. So, I don't. No, if I've explained it well, hope boys that that's a fair description. Um, but that was my experience of it anyway. And so it sounds if the vibe's good, which obviously you've said it was, it sounds fairly genius. Because I imagine their labour costs were vastly reduced. They've probably got zero wastage or as close to zero as you could possibly get. Um, if everything's dispensed to the mill and you charge for everything that you purchase, you know that's um, it's awesome. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, you, there's a, a potentially a double in there of the labour cost, but also what a consumer might actually want. Now, I don't know whether it's gimmicky and new and therefore people will tire of it, but I've got to say, going back to some of the conversations you and I have had over the years, what it has allowed the operators to do is to focus on those other elements of the service, so the music, DJ, um, I think like they've, I don't know if you know the Sandringham Hotel in Sydney, it's the old upstairs. The space is the old Sandringham Bam Room, which came across into the other venue. So they've got a, uh, and they've been trolling live music and things like that. So, you know, uh, we're in an era where uh, you can't knock innovation and uh, an adaptation. And so I kind of wish the boys the best with it, really. 100%. It's awesome. All right, mate, Louis should probably talk about who's coming on the podcast today. So we have Dave Clifton, who I guess many would know in the industry, but Dave uh, is currently with um, MA Hotel Management, Red Cape, as, a, as another way of um, referencing them, as a chief experience officer. But Dave's been in and around the tra- traps for, for a number of years, spending uh, quite a significant amount of time with Maryvale. I think all up he was there for... Like 10 years, um, yeah, uh, starting out as a GM of uh, an Ivy pool, I think, at the beginning and then moving into the G- group GM of operations um, before heading over to Mollus. Uh, before that, sorry, spent some time with QT Hotels as the director of food and beverage across their portfolio. So we 
uh, I don't know Dave professionally and personally, and I think our interactions with the businesses in now um, have really given us good insight into how they look at culture and their team and, and creating a, an environment of performance. And that single topic, along with also sharing the rest of his story, was why we wanted to get him on today. So we'll get him in for a chat. Yes, he looks like he's got an impressive CV, and I don't know that I've met the gentleman. So very much looking forward to this conversation. Welcome to the Back of House podcast, Dave Clifton. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. It's a, a pleasure to have you on. I'm sitting here with Luke, discussing all things uh, hospitality, staffing, these types of things. But uh, um, for listeners who may not be acquainted with you, so well, why don't you just give us a bit of your personal story, your journey into where you are now, what you're up to? My journey into hospitality, uh, like a lot of people left school, had no idea what I wanted to do. I think um, was probably hanging on to some dreams of playing uh, professional football, which didn't uh, didn't pan out. Had a family in pubs. Grandfather had a few pubs uh, over the years. Was doing a bit of study in the construction industry uh, and didn't love that. And had a uh, couple of mates in, in Ben Dunn and Hattie Coblin who owned the uh, foreign hand. And uh, they gave me a job picking up glasses. You know, at the time, I think I did that for about four to six weeks. Uh, Patty gave me a call and said, Cliff, I can you wear a shirt and tie into work today? And I thought I must have been doing a function. And I walked in and he said, Rats, you're the new manager. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, but uh, just threw myself into it from there. And that's when I really started to fall in love with the industry, love the dynamic nature of it. You know, all things staff and customer experience and high performing teams is uh, where I really found my passion. I was I was uh, doing some cyber stalking earlier, and you've got a like a like an impressive list of uh, places that you worked before. Which is the best one? <laughs> We've all been excellent. <laughs> um, I've enjoyed my time at all the organisation and pubs I've been in, um, yeah. culminating to uh, the role I'm in today. So just uh, for listeners, uh, and t- tell me when if I get this wrong, but it's, it spans uh, just, a, I guess, particularly from a Sydney perspective, um, senior roles at Maryvale, also at Event, um, but then back to Maryvale for a little while, and now you find yourself as the Chief Experience Officer of MA Hotel Management. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And so just um, can you outline what MA Hotel, I think people are pretty familiar with Maryvale uh, and Event, but just in your current role, what's uh, MA Hotel Management up to? What does it do? What's its scope of operation? Yeah, look, as you mentioned, currently the Chief Experience Officer at MA Hotel Management. We manage 40 pubs across five um, five separate pub funds, uh, Red Cape, 35 uh, venues across New South Wales and Queensland. We've got the Beach Hotel Fund up in uh, Byron Bay, uh, Hotel Brunswick, which is 30 minutes up the road from the beachy. Uh, Taylor Square Fund, which is Kinsella's Courthouse and the two terraces in between. And then we also we have All Seasons Bendigo uh, down in Victoria. Our vision is to enrich the local communities in we're in through our hospitality. And we really play, you know, that we have that as our guiding light through everything we do. In my role, I pay particular attention to staff and customer experience. Uh, and really just building high-performing teams through that. We've got a lucky, we've got a pretty sophisticated tech stack, and, you know, we constantly surveying our staff and customers, and that really helps shape lots of lots of the strategic approach we take across the business. Can I just uh, understand a bit, unpack the um, scope of operation across different groups? Um, in 
Is that a, a portion of Red Cape's portfolio you're responsible for, or is it all no, of it? No, all, all of it. And is there a, in terms of, because you've sort of gone across a few different areas, including Taylor Square, is, it, is there a strategy around that, or is it kind of you go in and position yourself to um, pub groups and say, we'll do a great job of running these? How does it, like, what's the corporate strategy behind the diversity of the portfolio? Look, there's a separate strategy for, strategy for each of the funds. Um, we obviously will acquire focused on community pubs that we can add value to, and that's separate across, you know, Red Cape's got its own strategy, uh, as do the separate funds on, you know, how we're going to grow earnings across the, the lifetime of that, that investment. In, in terms of the your role specifically as Chief Experience Officer versus others in the business, like what does what does that boil down to? Is that the customer journey through the the venues? Like what? What's... Yeah, look, I, I'm responsible for the whole operating part of the business. So that's everything from operations, food and beverage, talent, through to marketing. Um, and as I mentioned, there is a real focus in my role on staff and customer experience. We know if we can get that staff and customer experience right, that generally flows through to good financial performance. Yeah, I'm interested in it, hey, because like, uh, and partly they say not dumb questions, but like it's not often that you see that title, I don't think, in a hospitality business. In airlines, very common to see chief experience officer um, for probably a decade, but I've not seen it that frequently. Maybe I've not been looking in the right places, but I've not seen it that frequently in, in hospitality. And it intrigues me is that, because it seems like it's a deliberate decision to focus on experience as opposed to operations, if that yeah, Thanks. definitely. I think um, given my background, it's really brought on to diversify um, portfolio's earnings. We've had a real focus on F&B over the last couple of years. We've built a, a very strong team in here at the moment. We've got um, Paul Mant, who's ex-Merivale, Ben Turner, who's ex-Solitel. So really focused on creating um, you know, greater value for investors through that F&B channel at the moment. Can I ask you on that topic? I mean, how how significant, if at all, was the requirement or the process of actually changing that focus internally away from being, you know, predominantly driven by one revenue stream to, you know, adding in more of a focus around food and beverage, bringing in people who are obviously quite innovative and, and real market leaders in what they do, yourself included in that. Was that a challenging process? Were there, were there maybe people in the business who had been there for a while and were, were stuck in the ways of this, this is how we make our money or, or was it pretty easy and, and really open and welcome? No, not, not at all. It's it's just been such a, an open business. I think I've shared with you before, Luke, you know, this is an organisation that is really focused on its, its core values and I think because the organisation does do that it's been very open to change open to new ways of working and really respectful of you know the subject matter experts we bring in and how that can you know continue to grow the organization you set me up perfectly for my next question which was and and hopefully it's something you're, you're happy to share because it is i guess a, a key part of why we wanted to have you on as a guest because the, the business is one that we you know we obviously deal with a large range of businesses you've worked in a large range of businesses um i would suggest it, it's one that sits very much at the top in terms of how the values are actually um, absorbed and lived and breathed by people within the organization like you know people can drink the red cape kool-aid um, when they go in and really buy into what it is that you're looking to achieve from a people perspective are you happy to talk about what you know specifically what those values are and what they mean to you uh, yeah sure yeah we have a 
Team Promise, um, which is to create, nurture, an environment of trust. Um, we have a very clear set of values around care, collaborate, and courage. Courage, uh, and that underpins all the decisions uh, we make across the whole organisation, from the leadership exec team, all the way through to our um, venue managers in, in any of the venues. It um, we talk to it all the time. We lead by example. There is a leadership team that is elected by a group of peers, uh, and that leadership team is a group that is living those values all the time. So um, probably about 30 or 40 leaders get together to um, put that team together. So um, pretty powerful that uh, a group of peers vote that uh, team in. So, yeah, as I said, we talk to it all the time. Uh, we live in it in everything we do. I think the, the best leaders are the ones that lead by example and there is a certainly a, a big focus on that across the business. Really obvious question, but what benefits does that focus on values apply for you? And another, and maybe not obvious question, but what are some of the challenges, if any, that you have in terms of having such a you know a strong approach to values? So I mean, if you look at it from a people perspective, singularly, it, it's going to really limit the number of people that you're, uh, I guess, uh, accessible to you working in the business because having you know people values aligned is always you know in my experience typically the hardest thing to to find so two-part question there we do like them on this podcast but um what are the benefits and, uh, and are there any challenges benefits around re retention and traction of talent lots of people in this organization have been sticky for a long time on on the back of the, the values uh and what we've found over the last couple of years particularly a lot of people are knocking on the door. I've heard about how, you know, Red Cape particularly treats its team uh, and, and the values and they want to be a part of it. So I think it's been excellent from a retention, excellent from a retraction point of view. Uh, and it's just so scalable, you know, as we grow and, you know, if the whole organisation is behind that, uh, I think you can start to scale and, you know, you start to see that effect across all the different funds we manage. In terms of challenges, like anything, Sometimes there's, you know, in interpretation of what the values or behaviours mean. And, you know, we need to, you know, ensure we clarify that across the teams. I think there's been some excellent adoption over the years at a senior level down through our venue managers. We've probably got uh, a bit of work and some challenge, you know, from time to time as you get down to the, the frontline staff. How was that for you through the experience over the last couple of years? You know, I mean, there's such desperation for business to employ talent, obviously, given the lack of talent and, and, and skills that were around, to then layer, you know, desire to, to stick to having people who are culturally or values aligned to the business um, entering. Uh, they, they could have been competing forces over the last couple of years. Is that is that fair or did you find a way to navigate through that that, that or did you just not have that experience at all? No, we, we didn't. We, we, we were lucky. Um, we retained, you know, a big bulk of all our employees. We were able to pick up some good ones during that time. And, you know, through that interview process, we're, we're testing people for value. So people that are entering the business are usually pretty aligned. I, I think we've had a pretty, pretty good experience over the last couple of years. There are pockets, you know, regional areas like... Um, Beach and bruns can be challenging, but for the most part, I think we, we've certainly picked up the, the lion's share of any talent in the area, which has been good. Can you take us through how the the actual process for the elections? Yeah. 
So we probably going back to last, must have been last October, was the last, last one we did. We invited um, our 40 of our most senior leaders across the organisation. Uh, and it's not really hierarchical. It's people that we believe are, you know, the future of the business. Um, we had a day where we did a bit around a bit of leadership learning. We had a session around our strategy and where we're headed over the next couple of years. Uh, and we finished the day with just a, you know, simple vote on who they wanted to lead the organisation uh, throughout that um, period of the strategy. And that was really based around who was living those values all the time or most of the time. A pretty straightforward process for you to get those people across the line. And is it like you serve a term and then get voted on or what? Well, you behave, behave your way in and, or you behave your way out. So um, you will serve your term and exit if you're not living those values. So, yeah, that's kind of, kind of it. You behave your way in or behave your way out. It's, it's pretty it's pretty interesting approach like unless i'm missing something mm -hmm. like as in again um chief experience officer and um elect chief and chief electoral officer maybe no, that's a bit unfair <laughs> but like it's, it's a but but it probably does speak a little bit to uh, i mean this is going to do such a bad job of explaining this but like if you look at uh generational shift from um command and control run organizations through to what is expected increasingly by uh, millennials and alphas audience in terms of collaboration models as opposed to um i know i'm i'm the all seeing and knowing leader there's kind of a resonance with that um i think i don't know if uh yeah. you feel that or not definitely a, a big focus that you know obviously a bit of a down cycle at the moment it's been a, a challenging times but i think we we're really focused on uh, having empowered teams i think we know if our teams feel empowered at the moment, they, they really thrive. And through the, the down cycle going through at the moment, we're seeing lots of great innova innovation from team members, uh, thinking differently, trying new things, um, being more efficient. So, uh, you know, to your point, if we can create an environment where there's high trust and our teams feel empowered, I think uh, a lot of good comes from that. Uh, and I think, um, and Luke's probably on a similar track with my um, me on this, the, you mentioned down cycle. Like, is that a reference to just trading conditions currently? Like, or are you um, speaking more broadly? Like, is that yeah, more, more more broadly? I think you know, looking at our business, the the impact of rate rises are, are clearly impacting a lot of people. You know, all our pubs are in the areas, which you know we know through our research and our surveys, and anecdotally that lots of our customers are feeling the pinch, and we're really focused on uh, ensuring. Know, when they do come to the pub, that they're having a great experience. They can forget about all the, you know, all their problems when they walk through, walk through the door. We're still seeing, you know, good trade across the venues. I think the food occasion seems to be really strong. I think um, lots of people still want to connect over a meal. I think COVID hasn't showed us anything. People are craving that connection, and um, we really try and get our teams just to focus on that customer experience, whether someone's got 20 bucks to spend or 200, just make sure we, we give them a great experience. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to store that question for later, but I, I just thought it was interesting to note the simplicity of um, the things that you're actually doing because we do talk about how business, cause businesses sorry, or, or leaders can look to create a positive culture or potentially change the perception of the industry in terms of how staff are cared for by 
their employers and and then all and and as a byproduct of that you know, cre- hopefully create a better environment for retention and attraction for the industry as a whole but it's just interesting that the things that you're doing you know you, you talk about them quite simply they sound like they're simply implemented but they're just things that not every business does and it's probably a great you know blueprint or you know example but for other organizations if they are feeling like maybe they could improve their processes around retention and how they look after their staff that it's not actually overcomplicated. like everything that you've described is very very easy it's just a commitment to getting it done really yeah and that, that's our approach at the moment is just keep it simple keep it really simple um i think mindset is important you know we certainly I talk a lot around mindset at the moment. If you want to achieve anything, you, you know, you've got to believe in it. We, we certainly get our teams to really um, focus on that. Yeah, so it, it is. It's focused on your your team, which will focus on the customer, and that will flow through to performance. And as I mentioned, that innovation, thinking differently at the moment, is incredibly important as well. I think you're not the only guest uh, on in recent times that has and maybe has maybe other conversations, but has talked about food holding up reasonably well. Like, um, mm. and I have this utopian view potentially that uh, because if you think back to tribal times, um, it would be communal eating, uh, cooking makes sense, right? But then we kind of become quite isolationist and everything gets customized, and uh, you know the master chef generation, everyone starts cooking everything they can at home uh, or attempting to, uh, in any case, and you get to this point where particularly for a grocery bill um, in a single house, is it like worth it? Is it worth it to even try to cook at home versus going out where the scale of economies allow pubs in particular, uh, the pub asset class to deliver high quality, interesting, uh, well-executed food at a reasonable price versus your net cost buying at home where half it gets chucked because you never got around to cooking it eventually. Like it's a, I, I mean, because I think that the, if you obviously trying to look for innovation to continue outside the pandemic cycle, I think one of the best things that happened for the, the sector in a way has been what happens when you put a certain amount of pressure on it and you have to just start finding new approaches. The reality is consumption per capita of alcohol, there, there is very few studies say that it's growing. You know, there, that is just a like a, or lumper and you can talk about diversification into different um, SKUs and you know, non the non-alc sector and all the rest of it, but fundamentally, it has been a pillar of hospitality revenue models for a long time to, uh, you know, mark up on alcohol. Well, how do you, you know, reshape businesses given just some of these more macro trends? And I see particularly in models like music festivals and uh, theatres where uh, the same trends are true. Like the alcohol consumption has is 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 declining as part of those models, but they're very exposed to, you know, that high consumption um, and per, per customer or high purchase per customer. Like, if, if, do you sort of agree with that analysis? And if so, like, are there any other areas that, you know, are, are interesting given the scale of operation that you see that may be ripe for innovation? Oh, what's interesting? With such a diverse portfolio, it's probably different um, to each one. You know, we know up in the Northern Rivers, uh, artistry and music is really important, so we really tap into that across the beach and bruns. Other than that, I think, um, as you mentioned, just getting the 
the simple things right around our, uh, our offering. Um, sometimes the, the beauty in experience is just getting the, the basics, basics right. Uh, and that's been a huge focus uh, for our teams. Couldn't agree more. I think um, in terms of alcohol consumption seems to be in, in decline in some markets. And you've got to make sure, you know, a couple of years ago, if you had no alcohol mocktails or anything like zero alcohol on your menu, it was, um, you know, quite rare. Now it's just, you know, standard. So in terms of where we're headed, um, yeah, I'm not too sure. We, we do a little bit of research with our customers from time to time and that's uh, probably something we need to delve a little further into. Merivale, as a single um, entity, um, from your experience there, starting in sort of general manager pool club, moving up to GM of operations for the group, what was that that time like for you going through an organisation, which I imagine in 2008 when you started, that was when Ivy first sort of first opened, is that right? And yeah. that business was a lot smaller than it was when you left in 2021? Yeah. Yeah, correct. The kind of came on board to launch Pool Club uh, at the time. That was the second phase of the Ivy redevelopment. You know, senior roles, GM of establishment, GM of Ivy, group operations, uh, up until um, GM of operations across the, the organisation. It was an incredible experience. You know, Maribel, you know, taking, uh, you know, small well, shouldn't say small, taking a large family business to an incredibly large family business was uh, exciting. I think it was an incredibly high-performing team uh, during that period. And, you know, we had a lot of fun, you know, adding a lot of growth. I don't know how many concepts we launched over that, that period. And um, we worked hard, and but we, we, you know, had a great time doing it. And this is not to ask whether one is better than the other, because I know you're too smart to answer that incorrectly, but... How, how would you say the organisation at Maryvale is different to the one you're in now? I, I Look, apart from playing in different customer segments, um, for the for the most part, the, there's not a lot of difference. I think both are, you know, high-performing, both are really focused on, on customers. So not a lot of difference apart from, you know, the positioning of the pubs. Maryvale is obviously uh, predominantly premium. We don't sit in that category. So, yeah, I wouldn't say there's a lot. You know, high, both high performing. You know, just probably in playing in different markets. Yeah, right. And then your experience with QT, director of food and beverage. So you are specifically on the QT hotels brand. Is that correct? Yeah, Not necessarily yeah. across the event cinema side of things. But what was that transition like? Because you do see a lot of people these days. I remember when I came up through hospitality. I went and interviewed for a job with a hotel business and they were just not interested. Maybe it was me, but there were at that time not many people going from on-premise operations in food and beverage into hotels, whereas now it's very common, commonplace. How did you find that that change? Yeah, look, it was probably an intentional move to keep rounding myself out and rounding out my uh, skill set. Really wanted to understand the accommodation sector a lot better found the transition i think qt was probably one of the first brands that was really doing fnb well you know, across the accommodation space and you know since that time i think there's lots of operators that are really focused on it like any organization you go into there's there was the friction between accommodation and food and beverage and you know where do we make all the money but you know that's part and parcel of a good organization where there is that friction and 
Um, so yeah, it was not without challenges, but enjoyed those challenges. This is probably a bit unfair, I reckon, but I often get hit up nonstop, like in my job, bring back Sydney's nightlife, Mike, what are you doing the cross, right? Because the cross is for many people, this nostalgic view of what going out in Sydney was like in the, you know, eighties, nineties, noughties. Similarly, like for many people, uh, Oxford Street, Darlinghurst and Taylor Square has special significance and just commenting on the Taylor Square rainbow uh, precinct and it being in the focus spotlight, like in very much for, you know, from my perspective, but also City of Sydney, uh, you know, there was an article in the Sydney Morning Herald recently about um, the identity of the area. What's the experience on the ground is really like, if, if, if that's a fair question to ask for you operating that in terms of customers, patronage and vibe? Yeah, I think that article the other week probably nailed it. I think there is an identity crisis at the moment. Uh, I think World Pride, that World Pride Mardi Gras period was uh, phenomenal. Um, I think all the activity and the different events throughout that precinct uh, was just you know, incredible to see. So many people I know and had lots of feedback was, you know, just brought back such great memories of that whole precinct, Greater Taylor Square. We thought that would be a bit of a launch pad into a bit of a new era and um, it certainly had some challenges post-World post, uh, Pride and we've been lucky enough to secure Hoofdorf on a Saturday night, which has been it's just, you know, continue to bring some of that nighttime activity to the area. So, yeah, it, it is challenging. We are in that for the, you know, the long haul. We still need to work through what we want to do with that old precinct in terms of a development site, walking up and down that area. You know, there's still so many um, businesses bought it up. There's lots of development happening. It feels like we're probably, you know, couple of years away and I think there's some you know unfortunately some good operators that are uh, closing through that obviously Schultz's place the other week you know iconic places like Mr Crackles that you know already fed a lot of that nighttime um, patronage so it's um I, I'm very, really confident we'll get there um, but yeah it's not without its challenges at the moment mm. like it's it is uh just sometimes interesting to like well, not, I don't know who finds this interesting, but it's an, because it's an area that means a lot of things to a lot of people, it's going to get um, focus. But I think you've just really given us a good insight there because it is a period that just simply, whether we like it or not, is going to go through change over the next few years, not least of all, because there's two massive blocks of Oxford Street boarded up at the moment, you know, development project at a minimum, like let alone anything else. And so it, um, I, I guess it's just a, um, a good uh, thing to understand the evolution of place and I, what I'd sort of hope and encourage for others looking at it is really just because the in a, in a sense the, it's the customer fundamentally that doesn't lie right like if you can find an, a way to attracting people into the area then that's probably going to be like the definition of what the future of it is like I guess I say that because there's people with like, like an ideological view on what this should be but at the end of the day if you're running a business there and you've got to you're going to attract customers by offering them things that they're interested in. Yeah, it's really interesting. We obviously did a bit of research when we acquired the property and most of the residents, well, all the residents that we surveyed were really keen to see the whole, whole area come back to life. They're, they're, they're longing for it. 
they just really want um, people like ourselves and others to to lead it. Um, so I think you have a kind of groundswell of community support. You've just got to, you know, get on and find out where you want to play and, you know, what you're going to do. And But, yeah, it's, it's pleasing to see that community um, groundswell, which is behind the, the area. Yeah, awesome. Did we spoke about it on the last podcast or maybe not, but just, I mean, it's interesting. I think maybe it's an age thing. You see this, the life cycle of certain areas, um, you know, we're thinking about that whole rocks circular key precinct, I think is where we were speaking about it. Maybe, you know, that was five years ago. That was not a place that people were rushing to. And if you look at it now, we've got all these great operators heading down there. So it is really, I guess, it's a matter of time until you see things come back around and energy flow in there and it brings people back and things can move pretty quickly, even though five years is not a short amount of time. The term high-performing teams has come up heaps. What, from your perspective, for people, businesses, um, wanting to create a high-performing team within a hospitality environment, what are the key characteristics that you would see as being, you know, absolutely necessary to making that happen? Look, I think a couple of things. I think the basis of any high-performing team is around trust. Um, we do a lot of work around how we build that trust across all the team team members. I think it's really important to have a clear plan, strategy, uh, where are we going and why, and also just an unwavering commitment to your, your organisational values and also just be uh, relentless around your conversations around performance, be that individual performance, team performance and business performance, um, what's working, what's not working and, and why, uh, and how you link that back to your um, you know, organisational values is something that we really focus on at the moment. Yeah, nice. How much work does that take for you uh, on a on a daily, weekly basis? All day, every day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, you've got to talk to it. You've got to live it. You've got to. So yeah, so much of the time is spent around that. We've developed a you know wonderful leadership team. We've got some great senior leaders across the organisation. But yeah, it does take um, a lot of hard work. They say leadership's not easy, and you know. It's not. You've got to really work at it. So, Dave, how are you uh, or the business more broadly thinking about or approaching the next 12 months? There's, and absolutely not saying this is happening in your business, but there, because I do not know, but there's, you know, a lot of chatter around the industry, um, varying pockets you speak to going through either um, consolidation, redundancy, some are speaking very optimistically and, you know, attacking it very bullishly. So there is a, quite a disparity of, um, I guess, approaches or perspectives on what's going to play out over the next six to 12 months. How, how are you guys thinking about it internally? What, 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 are you, what are your sort of any plans in place to counteract what you think is going to happen? Yeah, look, we've got a um, strategy to get to $4 billion under management over the next five years. I think the next 12 months for us, uh, the focus is going to be on our existing portfolio uh, and really getting earnings up that way. In terms of what happened in the market, I think um, finance costs are you know, clearly biting a lot of operators. I think there, you know, w- there will be some sales coming up. I think uh, a lot of operators are really just focused on their existing portfolio, looking up, building up the capital reserves for when the, the time is right. So I think from a customer perspective, I think it's a great time to be a, a pub customer. 
Uh, we're pretty optimistic around that. I think um, there's lots of value uh, in the market at the moment. I think the good operators are really stepping up their experience. You know, things like price, experience and connection to our staff are the, the things that we really focus on. So, yeah, I think um, the next 12 months, whilst it's, it's challenging, there's, there's always opportunity that comes with that challenge. Are you starting to see a few more properties come up for sale or prices shifting at all? And, and um, obviously you said you're focusing in your venue, so probably not highly acquisitive. But, yeah, what are you seeing in terms of volume? Because I think it's been fairly well reported that volume of sales has been, you know, lower um, certainly than it was over previous years, but um, maybe turning around? Yeah, look, I think, um, as you said, volume's lower. I think it is such a resilient sector. Um, the pubs that are transacting uh, cap rates seem to be holding. So we'll, we'll see what happens over the, the next period. See, we appear to be coming to the end of the uh, rate rising cycle. So um, it'll be an interesting couple of months. We'll see what happens. We can only hope. My final question for you was more of a personal one. I mean, what do you do when you're not at work? Uh, with three girls, I am very busy getting them entertained. Um, so most weekends it's um, either school sport or sporting activities, uh, driving them around to different parties. They have a better social life than I do these days. <laughs> uh, so family keeps me uh, pretty occupied. Grew up on the beach, love the ocean, so, you know, I enjoy getting the family down in the water as, as much as I can. What's the number one beach you would head to in Sydney? Look, I grew up Bronte and Bondi, uh, recently moved the, the family uh, to get a bigger place in Kingsford, so the closest beach to us now is uh, the Coogee and Maroubra, so um, broadening my horizons. Yeah, right. I was right near you, actually, when I, before I left Sydney. And they're not bad beaches. There's some good bays down there as well that you can check out. I also, with three girls, I, the amount of glitter that is constantly on me with one five-year-old is pretty in, <laughs> incredible. So with three, I can't imagine what your household is like. Oh, yeah. There's uh, a dress-up all day, every day. <laughs> and you mentioned that you wanted to be a footy player when you were growing up. What kind of code? Which code were you playing? I played rugby league. Uh, younger years and then went to a rugby school, so focused on, on rugby. I think as I got older, the after-match activities, I was probably excelling at more <laughs> than the field, so it's probably what led me into hospitality. Which club were you playing for? Uh, playing down at Ramick Rugby and then played um, Coogee Wombats, Bondi United as a kid. Yeah, right. Which position? 5'8". Yeah, cool. Nice. It would have been a good era for Randwick, I imagine. It's typically always, I haven't watched Shoot Shield for a very long time, if it's even still called that, but uh, I remember growing up roughly around the same time as you, they were pretty dominant. Yeah, absolutely. I think as a, what led me into wanting to go play for Randwick were the Ella Brothers. I think going down there as a kid and seeing the Ella Brothers play, uh, play um, was a real driver for me joining that club a long time ago. Yeah, nice. Well, mate, thanks for uh, taking part. I know we've been trying to get this locked in for a number of months now, but it was great to finally get you on the chat. We're going to jump into the final five questions, so hopefully you um, got a chance to prepare some hilarious answers for these. But um, first one is your favourite artist or album right now? Look, as I mentioned, three girls, I don't often get to control the, the playlist, The Little Mermaid, soundtrack is on high rotation at the moment, but uh, if I do get control, I'm enjoying a bit of uh, 
talking fence. Yeah, right. Yeah, nice. Well, any, anything but frozen as a father of two girls. Uh, <laughs> I actually don't mind fro- frozen. Pretty good. Frozen two over frozen one for sure, though. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> your favourite uh, book or podcast that you would recommend? Um, really interesting one. Part of uh, International Women's Day, we had a uh, project team looking at a range of initiatives. One of them, uh, we sent out a book to all our leaders, a book called Unconscious Bias by Pamela Fuller and Mark Murphy. Really interesting guide on reframing bias, not something I had ever really thought of. And uh, it's a bit of field, field book style, so it's been really interesting working uh, through that and helping me identify with any potential biases and, you know, how I make decisions. So um, not something that would have been on my reading list, but um, a great initiative from the team sending that out. Yeah, nice. That's a very good recommendation. Favourite drink right now? Like a lot of people heading towards 50, I, I, I don't drink as much as I do these days. So it's pretty simple. I enjoy a couple of Bolter Easy Hazies on a weekend. Uh, that's just keeping it nice and simple, sitting in the backyard with the girls. Yeah, right. Nice. Uh, Favourite venue? If you could be in any venue anywhere in the world right now, what venue would it be? Look, I have a soft spot for the Northern Rivers. My partner grew up in that area, grew up in Ganella Bar just outside of Lismore. So the the beach in Bruns, those two pubs uh, hold a special place in my heart. So... I'd probably be sitting in the beer garden at one of the one of those. Nice. And finally, uh, who is the biggest inspiration to you? I guess in general, I don't necessarily have to come from the hospitality sector. Great if they do, but um, yeah, who's number one inspiration? Uh, definitely family. Uh, I've been lucky to have such a loving, supportive family over the years. Be it mum and dad, brother and sister, as a kid growing up and. Now I've um, grown up and had my own family. I think my, my partner, Jess, and three girls, Frankie and Harlow and, and Benny, uh, inspire me every day. That's a very good answer. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> well, although, although, although everyone else is now been on. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I know. That's exactly what I was just thinking. It just puts them all to shame. Um, mate, thanks again for taking the time. It was great to finally get to uh, do this. And, um, yeah, appreciate you, you making it happen. No, I appreciate uh, letting me share my story. Wonderful. Thanks, David. Thanks, Mike.